Hello, all of my twisted friends. I am Shayna, and you are listening to Real Twisted Sisters. Please be aware that we cover twisted and oftentimes very disturbing true crime cases. Be advised, these episodes may be triggering to some. Well, 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 we made it to November. Woohoo! I hope everyone had a fabulous Halloween. My Halloween was pretty awesome. Went around and saw a lot of spooky sights here in New York. Um, the weather was really shitty, so that sort of put a damper on plans, but it was fun. I uh, hope you all enjoyed yours. But now that we are in November, I have a very joyous and heartwarming Thanksgiving story to tell you. Lies. That was a lie. It's neither nice nor heartwarming, but you didn't really think it was going to be, right? You know me better than that by now. Well, this is the real Nightmare on Elm Street story. I'm going to take you back to 2012 for this one. It happened on Thanksgiving Day in Little Falls, Minnesota. A day that should be filled with family, food, and reminiscing turned out to be a real nightmare. Little Falls uh, is a small community in central Minnesota, one of those towns where everyone seems to know everyone, or at least they claim to. Rumors spread like wildfire, and secrets are shared throughout the town, with little additions added here and there to spice up the stories as needed. Little Falls didn't have much to offer for young adults or teenagers. They usually found themselves searching for excitement, but more often than not, they would have to create that excitement themselves. Stephen and Bonnie Schaefel were celebrating Thanksgiving at their home in Little Falls. They were expecting several family members. It, of course, was just going to be a, a nice day, a nice gathering, um, spend some time with close friends and family. A few of the people they were expecting were their grandchildren, 17-year-old Nicholas Brady, his sister, 18-year-old Rachel Brady, and their 18-year-old cousin, Haley Kiefer. Now, these three were super close. They went to school together. They were pretty much best friends, like three musketeers. So they're all related. Um, Rachel and Nick are brother and sister, and then their cousin, Haley. But they, you know, it wasn't just that bond they had. They were very close. Because Little Falls didn't have much for the teens to do, these three would often just cruise around together in Nick's red Mitsubishi. Uh, he had rebuilt that car himself and was really proud of it. All of the kids were super, you know, super nice, super outgoing, bubbly, popular. Nick was really into sports and the outdoors, and Haley was very active in school also. She competed in gymnastics, softball, and track. You know, from the outside, they looked like they had their shit together. Um, just enjoying life, hanging out, enjoying life, doing what they can in that small town of Little Falls. The night before Thanksgiving, the three kids, those three teens, spent the night at a friend's apartment. They were all planning on meeting at their grandparents the following afternoon. The night before Thanksgiving is always a big party night as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if that's like a nationwide thing, but I think that's like the heaviest drinking day of the year is the night before Thanksgiving. I believe I could be wrong. Anyways, moving on. Rachel and her mother, Kim, had arrived at the family Thanksgiving. However, Nick and Haley hadn't arrived yet. Now, time was passing and nobody seemed to know where they were. 
So they all three spent the night at that friend's apartment. But Rachel said that Nick and Haley had left at around 11 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. They told Rachel that they were going to go over to Nick and Rachel's parents' place before going to the grandparents to celebrate Thanksgiving dinner. Well, several family members, you know, of course, were getting concerned. They're calling both Haley and Nick's cell phones, but nobody's answering. Texts were sent, but no responses were received. The family started getting really worried. It wasn't like Nick or Haley to, you know, just not show up to something and then to not answer their phones was even stranger. Um, Family members said that Nick and Haley always keep their phones on them. If a family member called, they were quick to answer a phone call or give them a call back if they had to miss it for some reason. So the family begins to think worst case scenario. It had started snowing really bad that Thanksgiving day, you know, typical for northern Minnesota. And Nick, I believe, was a newer driver. So although he had his driver's license, he really didn't have much experience driving in the snow. So the family began to think that maybe Nick and Haley got into a car accident or maybe they knew that they couldn't drive through the snow. So they had pulled over somewhere and were waiting for, um, you know, that storm to pass or the snow to calm down a little bit. Either way, Thanksgiving night was coming to an end and still no Nick or Haley. The family took off to see if they could find them stuck on the side of the road somewhere, but to no avail. The kids were not found anywhere. The following morning, the family receives news of a car accident involving a red car in the area. Instantly, they just know that the kids had been involved in this car crash. They try to get a hold of some people to get more details on it, but they weren't able to get anything right away. So they just drive out to the scene of the accident and they do end up finding some broken pieces of a red car, but quickly determine that it's definitely not Nick's red Mitsubishi. So now they know that the kids weren't involved in this accident, but where were they? They were still leaving messages with both teens Um, not getting any responses, of course, and they also began posting on social media accounts asking if anyone had seen the two kids. You know, it's, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Somebody should have seen these kids somewhere, but nothing. Nobody knew anything. It's as if these kids just disappeared into thin air. Well, the next day, that Friday afternoon, Rachel and her mother, Kimberly, go into the sheriff's office to report Haley and Nick missing. that wasn't the only action going on in the normally quiet community of Little Falls. Not too far away on Elm Street, three sheriff's deputies were at the home of 64-year-old Byron Smith. Neighbors of Byron watched as a crime scene van pulled into his driveway. Some of these neighbors were very close friends with Byron and were worried that something bad had happened to the elderly man. Did he possibly pass away or did something more ominous happen? Byron Smith was a military vet who had spent over 20 years overseas. He had moved back to Little Falls just a few years earlier. Um, His plan was actually to retire from his job with the U.S. State Department in this small, quiet community. Uh, You know, he wasn't planning on having any issues with anybody. He just wanted to keep to himself, retire, and enjoy life. His neighbors and friends said he was a very nice man, you know, very... Quiet but well-spoken, he actually attracted people with his interesting stories regarding his travels around the world. John and Kathy Lang live near Byron. They also considered Byron a very close friend. 
John and Kathy knew that Byron had been struggling lately as his home had actually been being broken into multiple times. Now, looking into this case, there are different accounts of how often this happened. Some accounts I read said up into a dozen break-ins. Some said more like three break-ins. So I'm going to stay on the safe side and say that Byron had to deal with at least three break-ins at his home. Also, isn't very clear if Byron ever reported these break-ins and burglaries. I do believe on one account he did say that he had reported one burglary, um, but the rest, I guess, just never got reported to police. Overall, the burglars had taken thousands of dollars worth of goods from Byron's home. They took some of his guns. They took, um, you know, personal memorabilia. I believe they took POW, prisoner of war uh, memorabilia that actually his grandpa had handed down to him. So, you know, a lot of stuff that not only had significant value if somebody was looking to sell it, but also a lot of stuff that was just personal to Byron that nobody else really is going to get value out of. So that's the stuff that I hate the most. I Number one, hate a thief. I will tell you right now, I fucking hate a thief. Number two, I hate a thief who steals stuff that is not going to better them at all. Like, you know, you're obviously stealing stuff to probably sell it or use it. I don't know. But if it is something personal to somebody, you know, like a prisoner of war pin or something, that's not any value of, you know, you're not going to get anything out of that. Leave that with the people. I had a break-in when I was young. Um, I was probably in my early 20s, but they had, they didn't get anything. They just stole a big chest and it just had a bunch of like old pictures and um, you know, stuff that my grandma had given me and my mom had given me and I was so upset. So I'll tell you again, I fucking hate a thief. But anyways, back to these break-ins that Byron had to deal with. However many there were, three of them, 12 of them, I'm not quite sure, but he was never home for any of them. So whoever was breaking into his house was making sure that he wasn't there, stealing his stuff and doing whatever with it, and then Byron would return and see that his house was broke into again. So according to John and Kathy, Byron was living in fear when he was in his own home, which is never a great feeling. He wasn't able to sleep and was emotionally unstable um, during that whole time. You know, I think it was going on for one or two years where these break-ins were occurring. Well, to help calm his nerves a little and possibly identify the culprits, Byron installed a surveillance system. A real nice camera system so he could see outside of his house and inside of his house. So now these events going on in Little Falls on Thanksgiving Day. We have two missing teenagers, Nick Brady and Haley Kiefer, and we also have a crime scene unit over at the home of Byron Smith. Thankfully for John and Kathy Lang, they find out after they see that crime scene van go by that their friend Byron was still alive. Phew. However, deputies find two bodies in his home. These two bodies are of Nick Brady and Haley Kiefer. They were both deceased. What happened? Why were the kids there and why are they now dead? So after examining the scene more thoroughly and talking with Byron, authorities realized that Nick and Haley had broken into Byron's home in an attempt to rob him. Ugh, yikes. And now we have that information. Nick and Haley had broken into Byron's home. Byron shot. First of all, we got to talk about Minnesota law a little bit. Minnesota has what is known as the Castle Doctrine. 
This allows a person to use force, up to deadly force, if they feel threatened, if they feel threatened in their own home. Now, of course, every state is different when it comes to these gun laws, self-defense laws, um, protecting your property laws. This is different from some states where a duty to retreat is enforced, meaning one was, must try to remove themselves from a threat um, before using any type of force. However, Minnesota law is very clear in stating that you can use force if you feel that it is necessary to keep you and your castle, your home, safe from trespassers. But even when the law permits, of course, the case is still investigated. So it's not like, uh, you know, deputies show up and Byron says, well, these intruders came into my house, I shot them, and now they're dead. And they're like, okay, well, per this castle doctrine, that's fine. They still look into everything. They still investigate it. It's still considered a crime scene, um, you know, and they need to talk to Byron to figure out what exactly happened. So that Friday, they take Byron down to the station to talk with him more about what exactly happened the day before, um, the break-in, the shootings. Byron laid out the entire day for investigators, and he actually stayed quite cool, calm, and collected during the whole thing, which is odd. Byron said that on Thanksgiving Day, he had parked his truck down the street so that he could clean his garage. He didn't want it in the way, you know. You don't Trucks always get in the way when you're trying to clean garages. So he parked it down the street, not in the driveway, down the street. Well, after cleaning up, he said he went down to his basement to read a book, you know, enjoy a little quiet time. So as he's reading this book, he hears a window break upstairs. He said he then heard footsteps of someone inside the house. When he saw that man was coming down the basement stairs, he shot. He ended up shooting three times. The intruder died right then. He said a few minutes later, he heard a female enter the home and call out, Nick? She made her way to the staircase heading downstairs, still calling out Nick's name when Byron shoots at her. She falls down the stairs and he shoots again, but his gun jams. This is when he claims Haley laughed at him. He said it, that was a horrible thing that only a monster would be able to laugh at somebody who's trying to shoot them. So he shot again and again and again. He actually told investigators that because those first shots didn't kill Haley, he needed to land a, I quote, good, clean finishing shot. What the fuck? He needed to make sure she was dead. Haley was shot a total of five times. Nick was shot a total of three times. A little bit of overkill there. Now, keep in mind, authorities are hearing this story from Byron on Friday, a day after he claims a burglary took place. So why didn't he call police right after it happened? Or maybe even as it was happening? You know, he has a surveillance system set up. You'd think he would have seen them maybe in his yard or walking around his house. Something. Byron claimed that because it was Thanksgiving, he didn't want to burden the deputies. You know, that he didn't want to make them have to leave their Thanksgiving feast to take care of these dead bodies in his basement. So he took it upon himself to gather the bodies and leave them on a tarp in his basement for almost 24 hours. The following day, that Friday, Byron called a friend. Um, again, this there's different accounts of this, whether or not Byron called the friend or the friend called Byron, but 
During this phone call, the friend said that Byron seemed out of sorts and wasn't talking like his usual self. He said that Byron asked him if he knew of a good lawyer and then told him that he had better call the deputy and get them out to his place. So, hmm, Byron didn't even call the police. He calls, or he talks to his friend first, asks about a good attorney, and then is like, mm, by the way, you might want to get some deputies over here. There's been a situation. Like, I don't know what his plan was. I don't know, you know, if if he ever would have talked to that friend, would he have called police that day, or would he waited a few more days? I don't know, it's strange, but just wait, things only get more strange from here. So, you know, Byron tells police that he had had he had been dealing with these break-ins at his home for months. Just the previous month, he believed the same guy, Nick, had broken in and stole two guns. He figured if the intruders could steal his guns, they would probably use them. After the shooting, Byron said he was still afraid. Um, he didn't know if any more intruders would be coming in, if there was any more people with them. So he said he cowered in his closet, leaving the two dead bodies to rest in his basement. Investigators were curious as to why Byron shot the teen so many times. Now, mind you, they did go back and they looked at the surveillance video that Byron had. They did confirm that it was Nick and Haley. Uh, they do see him, Nick, walking around the house, looking in windows, I'm sure, to make sure that nobody was home. And keep in mind that truck was out of the driveway, so it looks like the house is empty. Uh, they see him break a window and get into the house. And then later they see Haley walking through the yard with a purse and a cell phone. Um, so it is confirmed that these two did break into the house. Now, investigators are just wondering, you know, even after hearing his story, he shot multiple times. Why? They ask him if Haley was already down. He said he shot Haley. She fell down the stairs, was clearly injured, but then he had to fire again and keep in mind he does say that he used those that clean finishing shot which is highly disturbing in and of itself but so they're you know they're wondering why why would you do that now byron claimed he didn't know the kids were unarmed until they were already dead he also said that if he didn't kill them what would keep them from coming back for revenge now we'll get into that a little bit more later he noted that if he would have called the police, the kids would have been sent away for a measly couple of years. Once they served their time, they would be back to make his life hell. Now, that's just what he thinks would have happened if he wouldn't have killed the kids. Needless to say, investigators were beginning to think that Byron did not kill Nick and Haley in self-defense. Remember, the Minnesota Castle Doctrine only applies when you are in direct harm. If the threat is removed or neutralized which it was when Haley was on the ground, injured, without a weapon, you are not permitted to use deadly force after that. Like, that's the time. You get the intruders down. They're injured. They're not moving. You see that they don't have guns. That's when you call the police and say, hey, this is what happened. And in that case, if that is what Byron would have done, everything would have been fine. I wouldn't be reading you this story right now. But he went a little bit nutso. So while Byron is being questioned about what took place at his home, a deputy along with a chaplain are on their way to Kimberly's home to relay the bad news, of course. They now know what happened to the kids. Kimberly and her daughter Rachel were both home when they saw the deputy's car pull up and they saw the chaplain with him. Kimberly said she knew right away that they had found Nick 
but she also knew that because the chaplain was there, he wasn't found alive. Their worst fears were now coming to light. They were told that Nick was dead. Having to deal with the death of their son and brother was heartbreaking, of course. Then they find out that Haley was also gone. Kimberly and Rachel couldn't believe it. They were told that both kids were shot to death. Kimberly says she remembers being confused and not understanding who shot the kids or why. When authorities told her the kids were involved with a break-in and the homeowner shot them, she was even more confused. She knew her son, or so she thought. Her son wouldn't break into a home. In the months following the horrific incident, Kimberly would come to find out that her son and niece were dealing with a drug problem. It was, this also changes with certain articles you read, but it was known that Haley had a pill habit. She had been taking pills and was seeking help for that. I'm not sure exactly what um, Nick was doing or, you know, what was going on there, but they were robbing homes to sell items to get money to support their drug habit. So after the incident, uh, the shooting at Byron's home, Byron went to stay with his friends and neighbors, the Langs. He was no longer able to stay in his house, rightfully so, I couldn't imagine. I mean, not only was he already scared of being in there because people were breaking in, but now you've just killed two teenagers in your home, left them sit there overnight. Um, I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be able to stay in the home either. So anyways, he's staying over with his friends, John and Kathy, John said that he would hear Byron on several occasions crying in his bedroom and he would repeat that he didn't want to kill anyone and that he was sorry and, you know, things like that. He wishes things would have been different. So, you know, John and Kathy really felt for him. They, John and Kathy and other friends of Byron, truly believed he did nothing wrong. However, he was indicted five months after the shootings in April of 2013 the families of Nick and Haley were now going to have to endure a trial that would end up bringing to light some very disturbing information. Byron was indicted on two counts of first-degree murder. He was represented by a pretty prominent lawyer there in Minnesota. His lawyer really wanted the jury to understand that Byron had every right to shoot the intruders. He did not want to. Like, Byron didn't want to do this, but he was scared for his life after he had been robbed and his guns were taken. That was the, his lawyer's main focus was pretty much, you know, he had been robbed before, his guns were taken. Who's to say that these kids didn't have guns on him or that, you know, um, Byron knew that these kids didn't have guns on him. He didn't know that. So he had every right to shoot them. Now, what wasn't allowed in court was the evidence leading to the belief that Nick had not only robbed Byron's house in the past, but he had robbed another house in the area just a few days before Thanksgiving. Now, items found in Nick's car led investigators to a robbery that took place at the home of a man who had been on vacation. So, you know, this wasn't, this didn't come to light until after the fact. They did find Nick's, that red Mitsubishi, parked around the corner from Byron's home. And of course, they dug through that to see what they could find in there. And sure enough, they do find evidence showing that Nick had robbed another home. You know, this was kept from... The jury, they weren't, jurors weren't allowed to know that information. Byron's lawyer thought that information should have been given to the jury and that the judge was wrong in leaving it out. However, I don't really think that that would have made much of a difference in this case at all had it been 
shown to the jury. Now, of course, because of the unusual circumstances in this case, the town of Little Falls was divided. It got really rough in that area during this whole ordeal, this whole trial. People would argue their side, of course, whether they believed Byron was innocent or guilty. Most of the time, people didn't have all of the information. So, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, yeah, the, the kids broke into his house um, violently, you know, broke in through a window. They were going to rob him. He had every right to shoot them. But, you know, they leave it at that. Like, he did have a right to shoot them, but not to shoot them excessively and continue shooting after he has neutralized the threat, as the law says. Now, the most damning evidence, people, here we go, this is when it gets crazy, was not given to authorities right away, but it was allowed in court. This was the personal recording Byron had taken on Thanksgiving Day. Now, he recorded everything, you guys. He thought that having this recording would help justify his actions. It would allow people to hear what went on and they would be like, yes, Byron, you were right. You should have shot them to death. For some reason, he didn't give it to authorities, but he did give it to his attorney. So I am going to play that audio clip for you right now. Please be aware that this is very disturbing. In it, you will not only hear dialogue from, from Byron, you'll also hear the actual shooting of the two kids. Uh, if you are not interested in hearing this, please fast forward a few minutes. I have to do it. 
think about that it's upsetting isn't it did you hear Haley laugh at all because I didn't I did hear Byron call her a bitch and say something weird like she probably thought she was a pro like that's fucked up I also heard him say you're dead after shooting Nick he talks about cleaning up afterwards and how he looks at the as at the kids not as humans but as vermin he also stated that he had to take care of this himself because police wouldn't. What the hell, Byron? You you maybe called police one other time when someone broke into your home, but I couldn't even find a record of that. So how do you expect authorities to do anything if they don't know about the people breaking into your home? He was like, he was like a vigilante. He was just going to take care of this himself. He was above the law. Well... So, you know, now juries, jurors are hearing this recording. That is damning. In court, defense didn't have a whole lot to say besides that Byron was scared for his life and had every right to protect his castle per Minnesota law, blah, blah, blah. It seems as though they were really trying to show people how troubled the kids were, too. Like, they were big troublemakers. Um, they had a history of violence. They had a history of drug use. Um, you know, they just wanted to show that these kids were out there violently robbing people to support their drug habit, and they were right. You know, if they hadn't been robbing that home, they wouldn't have been shot. But, you know, that it just, he went above and beyond. That's all that happened here. He could have shot them in the shoulder, in the leg, you know, but he shot to kill them even after they were no longer a threat. So his defense lawyer also said that Byron didn't call police initially because he was panicked and in shock, not because he didn't want to bother them on Thanksgiving. I guess Byron just said that because he's an idiot. Now, during the trial, Byron didn't show any emotion. Prosecutors had more and more info they wanted the jurors to hear, though. They wanted them to understand that this was not a self-defense case. They believe Byron had this all planned out. It was almost like he was hunting. 
They stated that Byron hadn't moved his truck to clean his garage that day like he said. He moved it in hopes that whoever had been burglarizing his house would show up thinking that nobody was home. Da -da -da -da. That's exactly what happened. Prosecution also stated that Byron wasn't in his basement reading, as he had initially reported. He was hiding out in a small space waiting for the intruders to enter. They claim that Byron saw them on the surveillance video and pretty much like he was already hunkered down in his basement. He had water bottles. He had granola bars. He had his two guns. So he sees them on the surveillance and just waits for them. So instead of calling out any type of warning, you know, you hear a window break, you might say, I've got a gun or hey, I'm here with a gun. Or you would call police right away if you hear that window break or call out, I'm calling the police. Like that would be a normal way to go about it, I would think. Um, but it just seems like he stalked them. He, you know, made it look like they could enter without having an issue. And then he shot them as they came in. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't fearing for his life. Do you guys hear that? I'm in the outhouse recording this and there's something weird outside the door and I'm now afraid to leave. Okay, sorry. Back to the story. So after all evidence was presented, it was now up to the jurors to decide whether or not Byron was guilty. He was looking at two counts of first-degree murder, so premeditation had to be proven to convict him of first-degree murder. Well, it only took three hours of deliberation before coming back with a guilty verdict. Byron David Smith was convicted on both counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. His lawyer stated that they would appeal the verdict. His lawyer was very adamant in... They wanted to say that he had a... Um, he had an unfair trial um, because public wasn't allowed to enter the courtroom for the first few... I don't, I don't know. It was confusing. But anyways... His lawyer did appeal. They appealed several times. In March of 2021, Byron had his final appeal denied by the Supreme Court. So he will sit there for the rest of his life. Now, you know, of course, the family and friends, it's it doesn't really make them feel any better. This could have been so different in so many ways. This did not need to happen like this. Um, they did. Friends and family created a Facebook page in honor of Nick and Haley. It is called R.I.P. Nick Brady and Haley Kiefer. Um, if you want to check that out, some some nice pictures and such on there. They are, of course, greatly missed even today. Nick's sister Rachel gave birth to her first child and couldn't help think of how great an uncle Nick would have been. R.I.P. Nick Brady and Haley Kiefer. Um, I want to know what you guys think about this. This is a little bit different, sort of, you know, not a typical case, I guess I would cover, but I am 100% a gun rights advocate. Like you, I'm, I carry a gun. I believe in being able to protect. I like that castle doctrine. I like being able to protect my personal property. However, this is like, this blows my mind. This guy was definitely looking to kill. He was shooting to kill and he seemed to be pretty proud of himself so I just want to know what you guys think about this uh, what are your thoughts on you know the whole break-in the shooting what Byron was charged with what do you think but that is it I gotta leave now it's getting real cold in this outhouse I think it's like 35 degrees out but 
I will do it just so I can get this story out to you wonderful people. So if you guys like this story and you have a case you would like me to cover, go ahead and shoot us an email at realtwistedsisters at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at real.twisted.sisters. And if you would like, you can become a member at www.patreon.com slash realtwistedsisters. Uh, that just gives you access to our Facebook group page and bonus episodes on the Patreon page. I have been slacking, I will say, a little bit there just because I'm out in the boondocks and don't have great reception, but I plan on getting another bonus episode out within the next week or two. All right, folks. Have a great weekend and keep it twisted.